So good to see you, family. My name is Eddie. I am uh, the lead pastor here. It is a pleasure to be with you. Happy New Year. Thank you for being here. Um, I, I'm so pleased and privileged to be able to be with you. Uh, so thank you for being here. I hope that your, your time with family and friends was fruitful and relaxing, though maybe it wasn't relaxing, maybe it was busy. Um, just a couple things before we get into the word today. I wanted to ask you, we're going to get into resolutions, but have you considered this year what your plan for reading the Bible is going to look like? And some of you, you, you might be thinking, I don't have a plan. And to that I would say, today's a good day to make a plan. Um, it's really important that you read the Bible every day. You know, our senior pastor, Pastor Brett, one of the things he, he says almost in every sermon is, read your Bible every day. Because if we really believe that, that this book is God's word to us, it's his uh, strength and his grace mediated to us, it's something that we need to come to. In fact, Jesus went so far as to say that man does not live by bread alone, but what? by every word that comes from the mouth of God, and, and specifically the words that were inscripturated. And so... I want to encourage you at the outset of the year to consider reading the Bible every day. And with that, I, I wanted to give you some encouragement that, that it's not as hard as it might sound. There are a bajillion apps that you can download, either for uh, Google or, or for iOS, and, and you can get version. that's one I'm familiar with, where you can get your favorite version of the Bible, NIV, NASB, ESV, um, the message, whatever, and you can read the Bible. And not only that, it has built into it these reading plans. And if, if one of your struggles is, I don't know what to read, well, I have some good news. There are a, a bajillion reading plans where someone else who's nerdier than you and has glasses like me, I have contacts, went ahead and said, okay, we're going to break up the Bible or the section of the Bible into 365 sections and we're going to put it in a, in a piece of paper that you can download or PDF that you can download. And you can go through and, and look, okay, today I'm going to read Ephesians 1. Tomorrow I'll read Ephesians 3. And it will take all the guesswork out of reading your Bible. So you don't just come to the Bible and say, I guess I'm in Ezra today. Okay. Um, so I would encourage you to download version, or you can go to navigators.org. And they've got a bunch of reading plans. One of the reading plans that we have talked about in the past is called the five by five by five. And if you've never tried to read the Bible on a consistent basis, I would encourage you to consider this one. It's five, the idea is that you read for five minutes a day, which you have five minutes a day. You can read five minutes a day um, at any time, be creative. But for five minutes a day, you read the passage that they give you. Five days a week, so Saturday and Sunday, you can take that off, or you know, if you miss on Tuesday, you can, you can fill in the blank on Saturday, but you have to do it five days a week, so we're almost at every day, and then they have five more ways that you can dig a little bit deeper, the five-by-five-by-five five by five plan. That's a great way for you to get into the Word this year. And along those lines, uh, if you don't know how to read the Bible, there are these books out there. It's called How to Read the Bible, For All It's Worth, by Gordon Fee and Doug Stewart. Great book. Again, don't be intimidated by its length. Just jump in and start to read. I would encourage you to do so, so much so that I'm going to leave this on stage and after service, the, the, the first person who will honestly read this, not just add it to their library, but will read it can have it for free, okay? And if there are like a thousand of you and you can't afford it, talk to me. Most of you can afford it. It's not very expensive, but I want to put it right here. So please grab that, 
read it, get into your word. All right? Amen. Well, it is 2020, and my question to you today is what plans have you made? What resolutions have you made? I, uh, I am a bit of a, I guess, nerd, productivity nerd. For some of you, that makes sense. Some of you are like, what does that mean? Uh, it means that I go and I switch between trying to find a, the perfect task list manager for my iPhone to realizing that I need to do something analog, so I buy the fanciest German notebook and, and do a, a, a system that's got YouTube explanations, and, and I just kind of twiddle my thumbs looking for something that will make me productive. And so I, I come up with goals and, and lists and resolutions. And, and I don't know where you are on, on the spectrum. Maybe you're over here and you've got, you know, your five-year plan, your 10-year plan. It's 2020, so of course you've, you've laid out your decade. Or maybe you're over here and you're like, I forgot it was Sunday. <laughs> and so, you're, but, but as we consider this, whether you're a what day of the week it is or, you know, I, I know when I'm going to die. I've planned that out. Um, Wherever you are on the spectrum, my question is, is how do you go about figuring out what is most important? How do you go about figuring out what is most important for your life? Because there's, there's so many things that can be important. You know, you, you've got family. If you're married, you've got a spouse you have to care for, you get to care for. You've, you've got, uh, if you've got children, you have little people or maybe older little people that you're, you're trying to, to shepherd into God's will. Something's pushing them, um, dragging them. Uh, you've got your, your employment, your job, and either you're, you're trying to build this career that, that by, by faith in Christ, and his, as Elder JC said, you're, 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 you're finding ways for God to provide through this career, and you're finding ways to, to put your hands to, to the plow and, and use the skills and the gifts that God has given you. And, and maybe you've got hobbies or, or dreams. You, know, you want to you write that book. You want to write that opus. You want to learn how to paint or wh- whatever it is. You've got all of these things that, that vie for your attention as something that's important to you. And then you've got people around you saying, you know, what's most important is this. You know, the, this is an important diet. You should try and this is 2020, so you should do this. And it's important. And, and uh, don't you need to fix your roof? And you know, there are all these things that are important. How do you decide what is most important? And, and so I want to look at what the Bible, what God would say to us about how we orient our lives around what is most important. So we're going to read out of Ephesians chapter 2, it's just one verse, uh, and we're going to read it together. If you're new, we, we stand and we read the word of God together as a way of hearing the word of God, the most important thing from our lips and the lips of those around us. So if you could stand with me, we're going to read out of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of God to us. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are making us anew, that you're creating us, and you're creating us with purpose. And as we step into 2020, as we begin to, to look at the land or we, we continue to look at the land and, and look at, survey the terrain of our life, I pray that you would give us a perspective that is informed by the purposes you prepared for us, the works that you prepared for us. God, I pray that you would help us to embrace your good works for our lives. And I pray that our lives would 
would reflect the, the intentionality of a God who has a perfect plan. Would you be with us, Holy Spirit? Would you, would you cast a vision for our lives? Would you cast a vision, God, for our lives to be full of good works that, that affect our communities, that affect those around us in such a way that, God, you're glorified, that, God, you're present, that, God, you are, you are with us. And would you make us a church whose lives, whose individuals who make up the, the, the lives here, that we would be so active in the good works that you've prepared beforehand that, that your presence would be, would be felt in Sterling, would be felt in Ashburn, would be felt in Herndon, would be felt in Reston, would be felt in, in, in South Riding and Leesburg and beyond. Father, help us as we study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So the question before us is how do we determine the most important thing? How do we go about determining the most important thing? And I would encourage you as you consider what reading the Bible looks like, read Ephesians 2. Read all of Ephesians 2 and then read it again and again and again and again. It is one of the most important uh, sections of the Bible, I would say. All of the Bible is important. It's all the word of God. It's kind of like, you know... Which of your, your wife's cooking do you like? You, you don't want to say that you like this because it kind of implies that you don't like this. It's all, it's all good. And, and the Bible, it's all good. But read, read Ephesians 2. It's super important. And in Ephesians 2, uh, Paul, who's speaking, gives us one of the clearest explications of, of how God the Father saves us through this unmerited favor, this grace that flows through faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ, his son. So we're saved by grace, not by our own works. And I'm going to read this. I didn't want to read all this because it's a lot, Uh, but I'm going to read it. It says in, in chapter two, verse one, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So he goes in verses one through seven and he basically says, This was your situation. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were alienated from God. You were separated from God, separated from the blessings of God. You were carrying out the passions of your flesh, the desires of your body, children of wrath. But he said in verse four, but God being rich in mercy, but God, because he, he's a merciful God, but God, because in his own goodwill, he desires to see us experience mercy, not because of anything what we do. In fact, we deserve wrath. We're children of wrath, but because he is a good God with good purposes and he loves us because he loves us. God, because of his rich mercy and the great love with which he loved us, saves us and raises us up with him in Christ. And he says this in verse eight, four Guys, by grace you've been saved 
through faith. And it is not your own doing, it's a gift of God. He says, for by grace you've been saved. And then in case someone wants to redefine grace, he says, and not by your own doing. It's a gift from God, not a result of works. I mean, he says it so many different ways. Not a result of works, not something that you did, it's a gift. You know, we had Christmas just a moment ago, and, and a gift is not something that you bring for you to open for yourself. I mean, maybe it is on Christmas time and it's my gift to me, you treat yourself. But uh, no, this is, this is not how God works. His gifts come from him to us. We don't give gifts to ourselves. He gives gifts to us. And he says, for by grace you've been saved through faith and it's not in your own doing. Not a result of works, verse nine, so that no one may boast. So he says, this whole salvation thing, it's a gift. It's from God. And then he goes on to say, for we are his workmanship. And the emphasis there is, it's his workmanship. In the original language, the word his is fronted in the sentence. And in Greek, uh, word order doesn't, it, it's a little wacky. In English, it's usually subject, verb, object. If you're an English teacher, you're like, yes. And if you're not, you're like, I don't want to talk about this. <laughs> you know, bill through the ball. If we say ball through bill, we think that the ball is the subject, and it's somehow through Bill, and it's a confusing thing. But in Greek, there are other ways to, to signify subjects and, and, and objects, and all that to say, when they put things in different places, it, it provides emphasis and focus. And so he puts emphasis on the word his, and he says, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. He says, for, we are his workmanship. He's saying, all of his salvation stuff, you need to understand you're not your own, you're not your own workmanship. You aren't, you're not a self-made man or woman. You're not, you're not building yourself up. This is salvation. Salvation is something that comes from outside you. Family, if you or I could save ourselves, we would have saved ourselves. If you or I could do something that would bring about real change apart from the personal work of Jesus Christ, we would have done it. But we can't. And so he says, we are his workmanship. We are his creation. That word workmanship, it, it, it speaks of God's, his artistry, his creation, his, his craftsmanship. It says, we are his workmanship. We are God's workmanship, not our own. Our salvation is his salvation. And salvation happens outside of ourselves. This is why the gospel is good news. The gospel is not some sort of intrinsic how you live life better. That's, that's, what's, that, that's where we fail with resolutions. I'm going to do X. I'm going to eat less pies and do more exercises. I'm going to be kinder, better, stronger, smoother. The problem with those things is we're still the same people we were. And in, apart from an outside influence... We, we, we struggle to change ourselves, and morally, we cannot change ourselves. We are his creation. Salvation happens outside ourselves. We need a savior who isn't ourselves. This is why you can't save yourself. This is why we can't get to God apart from Jesus Christ. We're God's workmanship, his creation. That word workmanship, as I said, it's, it's creation. It's not physical birth. He's not talking about you, you are his creation in the sense of you're, you're a created individual. No, he's talking about 
salvation. Again, verses one through nine, we see the context there is referring to God's quickening, his making our spirit alive in Christ, making us responsive to God, knitting us into uh, the family of God, calling us in Christ into union with God. We are his workmanship. And when you are saved, you experience the artistry and the work of God. Don't let anyone ever poo-poo or, or put down your, your relationship with God as though, oh, you, that's a crutch or well, that's, that's, that's meaningless. That's not worthwhile. God in his creation, in his recreation of you, in quickening your life, in making you someone who was once dead in your trespasses and sins, but bringing you into the kingdom of his beloved son, God created something. And that's not insignificant. To put it correctly, that's significant. If you're here and your faith is in Jesus Christ, God has intentionally and personally done something in your life. I think sometimes we can get away from that and think, okay, God just waves a magic wand and, you know, okay, you're saved, you're saved, you're saved. No, there's, a, there's an intentionality about that. In the same way that, that when I was trying to, 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 to court my wife, that, that I was creative about things. I was trying to make something happen. I was trying to create. And God's God, he's infinitely more creative than I am. And when he brings new life, he's creative. He in another place, Paul says that, that the Spirit of God gives gifts as he desires because he looks at you and says, okay, I want you to have this gift. I want you to have the gift of hospitality because I want to see you bring people into the love of God through your service to them in the context of hospitality. I want you to have the gift of leadership because I want people to be able to follow me in their following of you. I want, I want you to have the gift of, of teaching because I want people to, to hear from you and from your life experience that I'm going to prepare for you. Uh, I, I want them to understand the word of God better from your life. And, and he doesn't do that just sowing seed and just kind of throwing stuff out and whatever you get, you get. No, he's got a plan and purpose for your life and he very carefully fits your purpose. He fits your gifts. He fits all of these things to you. You've been created. You're a workmanship. We're a workmanship that's created in Christ Jesus. God works through the work of Christ. Jesus, when he said, it is finished, that was the work that God did to bring us into relationship with him. You can never separate your creation, your recreation, your walking with God from the person and work of Jesus Christ. If, you're, if your walk with Jesus Christ, if your walk with God, if, you're, if your religion is something where you do things but you forget about Jesus, you're doing it wrong. I've heard it said, Christianity is about Christ. Right, if you forget Christ, you just have it, which sounds crazy. We're created in Christ Jesus. And that's not just one of the most amazing things. And, and if, you're a, if you're a Bible nerd, you should study this doctrine of the, uni, the union with Christ. You know, we have all of these benefits that God gives us in Christ. We're, we're justified, we're considered righteous, we're sanctified, we're made, uh, made holy, 
will be glorified. We'll, we'll, I mean, I'm not even sure what that means exactly, except that we'll experience the glory that God experienced or that Christ experienced after his resurrection. We're adopted. These are all amazing things. And you know what ties them all together? Union with Christ, being in Christ. You know, when I was, I was a youth pastor, I tried to explain this idea to, to the youth workers and, and the teenagers like this. Uh, when you go to a fair... Or in fact, if you go to Leesburg, there's a, there's a Mexican restaurant right, above, right below the, uh, the fireworks pizza there. So there's a fireworks pizza, super good. Everything's about food. Oh, well. Um, <laughs> you go down to, this, down to the bottom level and there's this, this Mexican place. And they have like this cutout of, I think that's a guy with a, a hat. What's it called? Sombrero, thank you. And, you know, I think he has some other stuff. And there's a cutout where you put your head in and all of a sudden you're, you're the guy. You know, I'm no longer Eddie. I'm Mr. Sombrero Man. And, and the idea is there, you, you, you kind of take on the characteristics of this cutout. And we are united with Christ. It's not just that we're on the same mission. You know, we're, we're walking and we're doing what God's doing. No, there's a sort of mystical connection such that when we step up, we step up into the cutout of Jesus Christ. And your life is, is hidden in Christ. And it's in that context that we recognize that we have a purpose and God has a plan for our life because we are in Christ. We're in his Christ righteousness we're dead in our sins. We recognize our death. That, and then we talk about that in baptism. We die with Christ and we're risen again with Christ. That's me baptizing someone. We've been remade intentionally, purposefully, and artfully by God. And we've been remade for a purpose. The question I, I posed at the beginning is, is how do we determine what's most important? How do we determine what's most important? And, and it can be hard when you, the distance between God and like Monday morning spreadsheets, it can be pretty vast. It can be hard to connect the dots. Okay, I understand, Pastor Eddie, that God loves us and we need to love people and read the Bible. But what on earth does that have to do with what I do on Monday? What on earth does that have to do with how I live my life in my neighborhood? What on earth does that have to do... How do these connect? And I think that it connects in this way. He talks about what's most important. He says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. For what purpose? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We were created to do good things. You know, there, the, the thing about Christianity is that you can be sad, you can be lonely, you can be upset, you can be angry with life, but God doesn't leave a lot of room for hopelessness if you really take the gospel seriously. That is not to say if you were in this room and you feel hopeless that uh, you're doing it wrong. I'm not, I'm not trying to bring condemnation where you already feel hopeless. Please, let me give you a hug. But what I'm saying is when we reckon with what God has done, there's a wellspring of hope that God has for us because God has a purpose for your life. You may not feel it. You may not know it. You may not understand it. You may not be able to discern it in the moment. Your life may be a huge mess and you're looking around and everything's on fire and you're like, I don't understand what the purpose is. 
But God does. And even though you don't understand something, that doesn't make it therefore not true. I don't understand how my Subaru works. But when I put the key in the ignition and turn it on, it works, regardless of my ignorance. And you may be ignorant to the the intricate aspects of God's purpose for your life, but that does not therefore mean that God has no purpose for your life. You have a purpose, and that purpose is good works. In Christ, your life's purpose is not yours to decide. You know, follow your heart, not good advice. Follow God's heart. Because God's heart will put you in a place where your desires are met. Following your own heart, disconnected from God, gets you into messy places. Okay. So we're created for these good works. We're created with a purpose. So what is the nature of these good works? Well, he says that God prepared them beforehand. But this is not like Christmas dinner beforehand where it's like, I've been slavering over a, slaving over a, a stove and an oven for the last six weeks or the last two days or, you know, I've been preparing for, you know, what, what is beforehand for God? I mean, God's been around for a little while. It, you know, it, if, if one day can be a thousand to him and a thousand can be one, which it says in some psalm, just look it up, then, then what is beforehand for him? And I, and I think if we go back to chapter one, he kind of gives a picture of that. In verse three, Paul says this, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He's given us everything we need in the spiritual um, blessings in Christ. Again, that union with Christ. And he says this in verse four, even as he chose us in him, when? Before the foundation of the world. Before. Before. Now, they're, they're not exactly the same words, but they, they allude to the same thing. Before, for God is before creation. So you, you may be looking at your life and thinking, I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow, let alone my five-year plan or my 10-year plan. But for God, the whole thing's been planned since before the foundations of the world. Before, before your parents had their first kiss, before your grandparents had their first kiss, before Adam and Eve looked at each other lovingly, before grass sprouted up on the earth before light and darkness were a thing. God had you in mind. He had your purposes in mind and he had a plan for what you were going to accomplish in the world. Let that sink in. There's some guaranteed productivity for your life. If you're a productivity nerd, take a deep breath. You're gonna be productive in God. You know, getting things done, if that's something that you're into, you're going to get stuff done in God. Because God planned before the foundations of the world that you would. God has been planning for your good works, your real productivity since before the world was created. And it's a kind of plan and purpose that we should walk in them. Once you and I know our purpose, and this is why I wanted to talk about this at the beginning of the year, because it's 2020 and we're about, to, we're about to leap and jump into the year. And... And once we know our purpose, once we know what's most important, then everything seems to fall in place, right? 
You know, when you're, I just remember there were two types of classes I was in in college. It was the one where I knew where the teacher was going and then one where I didn't. And when you know where the teacher is going, maybe they've given you the outline and you're like, okay, we're on point number uh, C on section uh, three and you, you, you're, you're tracking. But then you had this other professor, probably a lit professor, and you're just like, I don't know who Kafka is. Why are, this is English lit, not German. What is happening right now? I don't know why there are cockroaches. What's going on? And, and because there was no idea of purpose, of direction. But once you know where you're going, you go. These are purposes. These are good works that you and I, God has prepared them for us that we should walk in them. And the word there is specifically walk in them, to move, to go, to do stuff. There are things in, in your employment, there are things in your marriage, there are things in your parenting, there are things in the community that you need to do. In 2020, there are things that you need to do. There are, there are boulders that you need to move. There are, there are, there's money that you need to raise. There's, there's lives that you need to change. There are things that God is going to do through you, but you need to do them. What do you need to do today? What do you need to do this week? What do you need to do this month? What do you need to do this year? It's at this point that we can begin to say, okay, what are my resolutions? Because we understand that God has a good purpose for my life. But again, what do these good works look like? You know, if you search for good works, there are like two places that it comes up. So it's really frustrating because I'm like, Paul, what do you mean by good works? And he's like, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> I, really, I really wish you would. I mean, it's kind of important, right? But the phrase only comes up twice in the Bible think. If I'm wrong, you can tell me and I'll apologize. But here's the thing. If we, if we follow his logic, let's do that for a moment. The question is, what are his good works? And we're almost done here. He goes on to say in verse 11, and he begins to talk about unity between the Jews and the Gentiles. And he says, therefore, remember, because he's, he's, he's not emailing, he's writing a letter. I'm contextualizing unintentionally. Um, he's writing a letter to Gentiles, to non-Jews. And he says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made both one, made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Talking about the difference between Jew and Gentile, the dividing wall of hostility. How did he do it? By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, those things that separated the Jews and the Gentiles, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. Talking figuratively, you know, you had the Jewish man, the, the Gentile man, and bring them together, the Christian man, woman as well. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Keep with me, I promise this is going somewhere. And he came and he preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. 
So he says, you're being built into something. You know, the Jew, Gentile, all of these distinctions are going away. You're now Christians. And he says this in verse 22, in him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. I'll repeat it. In him also, in him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. Throughout the Bible, one of the key themes that we see is this idea of God's presence in his dwelling. In Eden, Adam and Eve, what did they do? They walked with God. Sin caused them to hide from God, but God reestablished that relationship by slaughtering an animal, covering their nakedness. And then we see time and time again, God trying to tabernacle or, or to dwell with his people. We see the tabernacle, this tent, in which God's presence would come and, and the Israelites would see God is with us. And we see it established in this, this temple that Solomon builds. Again, where God dwells. But all of these were pictures. And then in the New Testament, Jesus comes and the Bible says that when he puts on flesh, the word there is tabernacle. He, he tents with us. He, he dwells with us. And then he goes he ascends after his resurrection and he sends who? His Holy Spirit. And now we are his dwelling place. He doesn't just dwell in the same room with us because he's embodied in, in Jesus Christ. No, he dwells in us. Family, the good works that you are created to, to make and the reason I think that Paul doesn't say, well, these are the six good works that you need to do are because the good works that he, you are to do are gonna be vastly different depending on your context, your life situation, your relationships, but the main thing is that they need to be embodiments of dwelling places for God. In your family, the purpose of your family is to be a dwelling place for God. Parents, are you creating an environment at home that is, allows the Holy Spirit, reflects the reality that you are a dwelling place for God? I'm not saying what you do or don't do makes you a dwelling place. No, he says that we're a dwelling place. The question is, are you gonna live in light of that? In your family, are you creating a, a dwelling place for God? Are you, are you shaping your, your marriage such that you recognize that God is with me? You know, if, if God's in the room, it's gonna make you act and think differently and do differently than, than if God is not in the room. And if you're a Christian, God's in the room. In your, in your job, at work, God is in the room. How is that gonna affect the way you do things? How is that going to affect the way you, what expenses you put on your expense report? How is that going to affect the choices you make? I, I could work for this company. I don't know if it's, they're, they're not the greatest of companies, but I can make a lot of money. Or, or I could work for this company. I'm going to make less money, but I know that they, they walk with integrity. God's in the room. How are you going to act? In your marriage, how are you going to act? In your hobbies, you know, <laughs> When you're watching TV, if God's in the room, you know, we used to tell our, our teenagers that. What, what should I, what am I allowed to do? What am I allowed to watch? When I'm dating, what can I do? If you can do it in front of God, you can do it. You can do it in front of Jesus, you can do it. Well, that's awkward. Well, then you probably should stop doing whatever you're thinking about. <laughs> I mean, how many of you, you're, you're watching Apple TV Plus or whatever it is, Disney Plus, everything's a plus now. <laughs> Better than it was before. 
Would God be like, yeah, that is funny? Or would he be like, this is, this is glorifying sin, Eddie. You shouldn't watch this. Or whatever, pick your hobby. I don't know, TV's easy, easy to pick on. Model airplanes, I don't know. Whatever it is that you do. The point is, you're being built into a dwelling place for God. These good works are intended to build toward that end. When you think about what's most important, what I think Paul and God would say to you is what's most important is that you orient your life around this reality that you have been made in Christ to be a dwelling place for God. And that being a dwelling place for God ought to control the decisions that you make. This is why God can't just be, you know, one of the stars in your sky. Like, God's over there, but I'm gonna do this over the thing. No, he has to be the source of gravity in your life. And I don't mean that like grave. I'm talking about like, shunk, everything comes and, and it, it's centered around Jesus. In 2020, what resolutions do you need to make that reflect the fact that you are a dwelling place for God? God's made good, good works for you to accomplish. I'm excited. I'm excited for 2020. I'm excited for our church. I'm excited for what you can accomplish. I'm excited for what God wants to accomplish because God's gonna do it, right? I, I, don't, I don't have to worry. You don't have to worry. Oh, is, is God gonna use me? I don't know. You know, kind of Eeyore. Like, it's another year. 2020, but I still wear glasses. And what's God gonna do? He's gonna do something. Again, you can be sad, you can be upset, you can be worried, you can be confused, but please don't be hopeless. Please be hopeful, please don't be hopeless. How can you live 2020 in light of the ultimate purpose that God has for you? These good works that he's prepared beforehand that you get to discover, you get to walk in them, you get to experience the blessing that comes from walking in obedience in them, there's a good life ahead for us, family. It may be a hard life, maybe a challenging life. It may be a life that, that, that shaves off the sinfulness in us, the indwelling sin in us, but it's a good life. And there are people outside of these walls who need to experience the good works that, that he's prepared for you. Not for me, not for the church staff, but for you. What good works do you need to walk in this year to reflect that you've been made into a dwelling place for God?